Hello, welcome to Would Like to Meet podcast. I'm your host, Mairead Lockman, matchmaker and dating specialist and the founder of lovehq.ie. I've successfully sent over 6,000 people on dates since 2016 with countless engagements, babies, marriages, long-term relationships and millions of kisses along the way. This podcast will help men and women to embrace their single life, ensure positive dating experiences, have great relationships, never miss a romantic opportunity again, and most of all, help you to find real long-term love with your someone special. Today I'm joined by psychiatrist and author of The Science of Happiness, The Six Principles of a Happy Life and The Seven Strategies for Achieving It, Brendan Kelly. So welcome today, Brendan. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. I have been reading your book all weekend to listen to my Audible and everything out walking. Could do a mix of both, trying to figure out where I was in the book versus Mm -hmm. listening to Audible. We'll start with what made you write a book about happiness? Well, I'm 47. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's been a lot of research over recent years looking at happiness and particularly what are the happiest and unhappiest ages of life. And, you know, you'd think happiness is nearly impossible to research because it can mean different things to different people. Different measurabilities for on any given day for each person, I suppose. Absolutely. And even during the day. But when you look at research across hundreds of different countries, Mm -hmm. they all find that the age of 47 is the most unhappy period in most people's life. This is the the valley of darkness. And I was right there in it. In the middle of it, in in the storm. Right there, walking through it. um, And could you feel it? Well, not particularly. Um, And that's what interested me. And that's why I wrote the book, because this... I could understand why people in their mid 40s might be unhappy or might find it, let's say, find find there were challenges to being happy. Okay, but I wasn't particularly feeling it myself um, since I don't think my happiness changes a whole lot. I think I'm pretty much always the same. Um, But it interested me that there was this research finding. And I thought, you know, how can you research happiness? How can people study it? How can scientists measure it even? So I thought to myself, I'll write a book. I'm sure as well, coming from the background as well, I'm sure you're meeting a lot of patients every day and I'm sure there are a lot struggling with happiness or mental health or whatever area of challenges that they might have. I'm sure as well, by researching it, I'm, there must have been some sort of feeling that you wanted to help yes. your clients as well to achieve what I suppose everybody would like in life. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, and I see people with all kinds of mental health problems and mental illnesses. So, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, all kinds of conditions. And, uh, you know, so many of them create additional challenges to happiness. And often it's a matter of guiding people both through treatment, Mm -hmm. but also through other aspects of their lives that they might need to build up or work on that a little bit more than other people do in order to get get a bit of a happiness boost. So the the broader concept of happiness uh, is, is so important, looking at it in, you know, in every aspect of your life. Not just one. So what is happiness? Ah, well, uh, it's kind of a difficult one. Even asking the questions, I'm like, am I, am I being mean asking it? Because yeah. I, I don't know what it is. To me, it's just a feeling. It's like love, a feeling. But what is happiness? Wow. Well, there are so many definitions of happiness. Um, uh, one way of answering that is that it's different for every person and you might not know when you have it most of the time. You certainly know when you don't have it. You, you miss it more than you recognize it. Um, but it's so individual that what the researchers do is they simply ask people, how happy are you on a scale from zero to 10? 
Okay. Th this is what the research is based on. So let's say I were to ask you right now, if zero is very unhappy, 10 is very happy, how happy are you? What number would you give? I would probably give eight because I really love doing my podcasts. But <laughs> two hours ago, I might have been like a six because I was trying to get out the door and the phone wouldn't stop ringing. So I was like trying yeah. to balance it up. So I would say an eight at the moment. An eight. Brilliant. Yes. So the average answer is in fact seven and you're oh. absolutely there with your Half six. And your on more, yeah, okay. Higher than average. But what's interesting is everyone answers the question. Okay. There are no people who say, oh, I don't know. Almost everybody gives a number. So we, we can when we think about it, know if we're happy or if we're not. Now, your seven out of mm -hmm. 10 might be different to my seven out of 10. Yes. But that doesn't matter because if we're looking at happiness, it's my rating of my happiness that matters. So I, I might look at you and I yes. would have put you at nine because you seem really happy here oh, doing great. your podcast. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't matter at all. What matters is your own rating. It's how I feel yeah, myself. It's okay. how you feel. And um, one of the questions that I'm always asked, I suppose, when I'm doing a matchmaking consultation with the client sorry one of the questions I always ask is are you happy and people are really I mean like stopping their tracks they're kind of like flowing with they're like excited to tell me about who they are because everybody loves talking about themselves obviously and then I'm asking about the type of person they would like to meet and of course always everybody's facial expression changes when I ask them so what type of person would you like to meet and then I just ask them are you happy and for a lot of people it really throws them it's like something they first of all they definitely weren't expecting me to ask them and second of all for a lot of them their facial like their facial expression their body language it it throws them off track you know so um why do people kind of struggle with with identifying their their happiness it's it's very complex and it's it's so interesting um you know, people pick seven out of 10 for their happiness because they don't want to pick nine or 10 because saying you're very, very happy feels like you're tempting fate or something bad will happen. Yes. But on the other hand, people don't want to say that they're unhappy either for the most part, unless they're very unhappy. So we struggle to talk about it a lot. And our first thought is, what does the other person want us to say here rather than looking mm -hmm. into ourselves? Uh, we tend not to talk you know, we tend to feel guilt about happiness. Yeah. You know, there is this embedded notion that getting through a life of suffering is somehow better than having a life full of happiness. So we see this in all aspects of life. If you talk to someone about, you know, are you, are you, how's work? And mm -hmm. um, the, the thing you, you know, you're supposed to say is it's very busy, but I'm doing yeah. well, but it's so busy. Whereas maybe we should admire people who say, my job's pretty easy. I finish yeah. early most days and some days I can take a day off. I don't work that hard at all because maybe that's what success is. But we like to believe we're struggling through enormous challenges, struggling through difficulties, and we struggle to admit that we're happy. It's funny because this morning I went and got my hair done. I know it's fabulous, isn't it? But um, I went and got my hair done this morning and I was talking to somebody over text and I said I was going to Dublin today to record this podcast. But I said I'm actually in the hairdresser's moment getting my hair done. And the response was, oh, you're taking a half day. And I kind of laughed at this because I thought to myself, mm, they have no idea I worked till 10 o'clock every day last week. And I was about to justify it. And I just decided, I just said, yes, I'm sitting here with colour in my hair, pretending I'm on a beach somewhere, you know, <laughs> instead of justifying it, because I thought nobody else needs to know how, how hard I work or how, you know, 
uh, where yeah. we are or whatever like you know I Absolutely. a lot of people go and get their hair done after work or over the weekends yeah. or whatever it is but it's funny how you you're supposed to people have an idea of how you should be happy or how you should yes. spend your time, you know? Yeah, I mean, and it should reflect well on you, in fact, that you're able to organise your time such that you're getting your hair done in the morning. Monday morning at like 9am. Yeah, I mean, not going anywhere today. Yeah. That's one of life's great achievements if you're able to do that. Yeah. And yet, as you say, there is this sense of guilt or this expectation. It's very similar with happiness. You know, if I said, I'm pretty happy most of the time, you know, I'm good, I'm mostly around a 9 out of 10. Um, I feel like I'm tempting fate, I'm doing something wrong, that I should give the impression that I have a life of hardship and I am somehow triumphing in my life of hardship but in fact um, I might be happy so so we struggle to talk honestly about it mm-hmm. um, which is a pity it is that's one thing that I was reading your book okay um, one of my observations I suppose going through it is that everybody should stop and think about their happiness I think a lot of people's measure of happiness or if I look at my own measure of happiness um, it is kind of what's expected so like that what I should be doing with my time on a Monday morning you know um, not reflecting on the fact that I was working till 10 o'clock on Friday evening you know things like this so one of the things I would really say like listening to your book is like actually just stopping and thinking of how happy am I and identifying where we could be happier I like it's it's yeah. really thinking about it in advance. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very, very simple, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but one of the pieces of advice is to identify consciously things that you like doing yeah. and do more of them. Not to feel guilty about doing them, but to make time and to do them. So in my case, I like going to the cinema. I could yeah. not go to the cinema too often. Really? Um, okay. I would sp- I would see three movies in a single day and be entirely happy. This reminds me of college. We used to do that. <laughs> we used to. I went to Angel Street DIT. And we went used to go across to the whatever one it was. Once you had your ticket in, you could yeah. you could have a whole day of it there. There was a restaurant. There was a bar. I don't even know if that's still there. I suppose it is. But you know that sounds fantastic. Now it doesn't sound like day. my college years, but we might have a different yeah, experience. You were studying medicine though. I was studying business. <laughs> um, so so that so that's one thing. Identify what you like doing. Try and do more of it. It sounds very very simple. But we tie ourselves up in knots. I mean, we spend so much time up in our heads, in our brains, Mm -hmm. and not enough time thinking about the simple things that we like doing. We're we're too cognitive. We're too caught up with thinking rather than doing things that might, in fact, make us happy. Do you think we should prioritise it more so? Yeah, we should think about it. We should prioritise our well-being overall. We've done a great job, I think, in recent decades of creating a culture of physical well-being. We all... Well, we all know that we should be exercising, eating better. And, you know, a lot of people, in fairness, are doing more of that. Mm -hmm. We're more conscious of it. And that's great. We have a culture of physical fitness, Mm -hmm. but we haven't developed a culture, if you like, of of psychological fitness or mental wellness or well-being. I think anybody that's listened to the media in recent years or even through their own life and everything with mental illness and the supports or lack of supports that we have, um, and all stemming from possibly things that could have been sorted sooner rather than later, I would feel, having been down that journey myself previously, yeah. I suppose, uh, in life, um, I think overall we need to, to look at the greater picture. We do, we do for sure. And I mean, as I said at the start, I'm a psychiatrist and often when I see people with problems, I'm seeing them, if you like, so far downstream yes. that we need you know, different kinds of solutions to their problems at this stage. Yeah. Um, whereas for many people, if, you know, at a much earlier point, they had 
prioritize their physical and mental well-being, their, their wellness and, you know, put into place structures for dealing with the difficult times that would have been helpful. Um, there's, you know, it's useful to point that out, as, uh, but other solutions are often needed at that stage. OK. And um, what have you learned about writing a book on happiness? Ah, well, I've learned all kinds of interesting things about happiness. Um, uh, perhaps the biggest surprise for me yeah. is that a lot of our happiness seems to be um, written in stone already. Um, in other words, we know certain things can make us happy. Earning some money makes us happy to a point. Yeah. Uh, physical activity, friends, relationships, uh, things like this. But also a great deal of happiness we, we inherit. We seem to inherit a kind of a set point for happiness and we hover around that for our lives. And a lot of us, this will make sense. You, you might know people who tend to be happy no matter what. My dad. Your dad. He's like infectiously happy. Is he? Yeah, he is. He's honestly a breath of fresh air. He, uh, you can't be in a bad mood around him. Even on the days as a teenager, where it's like, I am going to have a category 10 strop today. Mm. And he'd be like, well, sit down there now and we'll have our breakfast and then we're all going to have a great day. And, you know, it just, he is that sort of person. And you see, that's something to do with his manner, the kind of yeah. person he is and the tone rather yeah. than any specific words he says to you. Like he doesn't give you solutions to your problems. No, but he does say, isn't it great to be alive? An awful lot. Well, and it is it, when we should tell ourselves and that you say that in the book because I got a laugh out of it because you were like, we're very we're all fortunate to be alive because of the odds of being alive and the amount of people that are yeah. dead and the amount of people that are alive. And it's all by chance. We are lucky to be alive. I was actually laughing at that. I was like, wait till I tell dad. No, we, we, we totally are. When you yeah. consider the universe from start to finish, whenever that is uh, so many billions of people, uh, the chances of us being alive and the chances of us sitting here talking for your podcast are so low. Like, and it's, uh, it really doesn't reflect well on either of us. It's random chance that has us alive at the moment Brilliant. and has us well and have, you know, and, and you know, during the uh, during the pandemic, I think it's really brought home the role of random chance. Those of us lucky enough to be born in countries that are, you know, relatively yes, wealthy, absolutely. relatively safe. Yeah. And that does not reflect well on me. That just reflects on random chance. So yes. there is so much uh, to be thankful for. But getting back to your father and his infectious happiness, oh, okay. um, there is a lot of research out there about happy networks and, ha yes. you know, happiness spreads through networks and okay. it it doesn't ha happen because happy people stick together it happens because happy people make those around them happy. Okay. And I think, again, when I say this out loud and say it's been proven by research, a lot of people will say, sure, I knew that already. Yes. We like hanging around happy people. You like hanging around your father. And I'm sure Absolutely, loads of people do. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the big, one of the unstated things about interpersonal attraction, mm -hmm. about relationships, about dating, about getting to know people, mm -hmm. is that happiness is utterly magnetic. It is, I suppose, as well, when you're thinking of who you'll bring to a party or go out and night out with, you know, we do work so hard that when we, you know, when you're planning your fun time, you want to have fun. You want it to be great. You want the energy to be high and everything. And actually, when I'm meeting people for matchmaking, mm. um, there's different characteristics that females like and there's different characteristics that male like. There's characteristics then as well that everybody likes, mm. but Almost, I mean, 99% of ladies really focus high on someone that has a guy. They're looking for a guy that has a good sense of humor. And it's not weighted as much for men looking for a lady. But ladies 
nearly always will ask for a guy with a good sense of humor so it just shows the waiting even between men and women with happiness and fun mm. and mm. and how they spend their their life yeah no it's it's, a, it's such an important factor the the fun factor and um you know often people who are struggling with loneliness mm-hmm. um and I, I do see a lot of people who struggle with it they tend to focus on meeting people or specific types of people, whereas sometimes it's more helpful for them to focus on enjoying themselves and going into an atmosphere of fun and happiness Mm -hmm. because other things follow that you might never have expected and people that you might never have thought you'd be friends with. Um, it, it, It just it just clicks when there is happiness and fun floating around. And I think one of the uh, something that interests me increasingly is, um, you know, friendship. Um, rather than romantic relationships, which are obviously important too and are a particular kind of friendship, I guess. But I've often wondered about, you know, friendship apps. Should there be friendship apps where the focus is on, you know, just just having friends to hang out with? It's actually funny you say that. One of the things that I have noticed being a matchmaker is the amount of ladies that are lacking friends. I think guys have a lot of friends in... So far as they go for football, you know, watch football or a match or they might have their outlet. Um, Like it has obviously been proven that women are less likely to keep sport going the older they get. And as a result of that, then their friendships revolve around other things, more like going for dinner and alcohol, going for a few drinks and stuff. Now, for anybody, I suppose, that are in their mid 30s, they definitely realise that a lot of they're going to miss a lot of their friends within those years insofar as if they have a friend that is having a baby which Mm -hmm. a lot of women in their 30s will be doing I often say that the friend is not pregnant for nine months. They're they're gone for a year at least, okay? Because they're either getting themselves ready to get pregnant, then they have the nine months that they're there. And then, of course, it takes a couple of weeks before they're back out the other end. And even at that, they're more likely to want to go out for dinner and drinks as mm-hmm. opposed to going out on a mad night out and be your wing woman to find the husband or man of your <laughs> dreams, you know? So I would say definitely from that perspective, um, friendship and and everything is quite different so what I've actually been considering and it was something I was going to launch in January last year and then that little thing of mm. COVID hit um, is actually something I was going to organise is um, a girls night out Friday or a Friday night after work sort of thing I used to organise events um a table for six where we had three single ladies and three single men on group dinner dates as a way of dating and I suppose as a social aspect and a social outing but I feel that a lot of women that are coming to me are saying to me I'm the only one of my friends that are still single and it's you've talked yeah. about this comparison and we'll go to it in a moment yeah. um, I'm the only one of my friends that are mar- that are not married or that don't have kids and so they feel like they're missing they're single gal pals, basically. Yeah. And like, it is something that I am looking into, obviously, restrictions still being there, but just organ- organizing fun nights out. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think that would be a great that would be a great idea. I think there's a huge appetite for that mm. um, for for friendship, if you like, where mm. the uh, sort of possibility of uh, romance is not to the forefront absolutely, and maybe not yeah. there at friendship all. Friendship and just fun. Yeah. Just yeah. fun, fun. I was talking recently to Jerry Hussey mm. and like one of the things he really spoke about was having more fun in your life. And that's something I was looking at for my clients. Where can we just bring more fun into it? Stop being so focused on a husband, a wife, dating, you know, fun. 
Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And certainly the happiness research is, is very clear that a lot of the specific things that we think will make us happy, they do make a contribution like, you know, relationships and that. Yeah. But a lot of it is unexplained, a lot of happiness. And we know this ourselves. It can vary so quickly, even within a day yes. based on small things. So getting more fun going on and more general happiness, a happier milieu can, will certainly boost happiness in a lasting way. Excellent. Um, Love and happiness are often seen to go hand in hand and people might be under the false impression that if you're in love, you're always happy. And I think sometimes people come to me for that. Um, And, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, they're separate things. Uh, Yes, I I would 100% agree with that. Yeah, I mean, they overlap to a certain extent. And for some, I suppose, very lucky people, they they overlap Mm -hmm. a lot. But you know, we need to be careful uh, because if your happiness is entirely dependent on being in love with someone, that's very fragile. Yes. Because that can end, you know, the, the, the person can change or you can change. Yeah. The, yeah, the person could die. You know, you do mm. need a lot of freestanding uh, resilience mm-hmm. in your happiness. So it's not just dependent on one other person. I And even I would say not just happiness, life uh, as well. I would get obviously a lot of people from all walks of life and all backgrounds coming to me. And I have met a lot of people that are, you know, um, have been widowed. And the, the problem is they're so dependent on the person that they were, that they were married to or the person that they were, you know, in a relationship with that they really are lacking maybe independence, like things like not being able to drive, have no idea even where their bank account is or mm. uh, things like that. Yeah. Real core stuff that we sh- I would think as a human being, we should have a certain level of independence within ourselves. Yeah, so, uh, absolutely. But this, this happens all the time. And we see this a great deal, say, in adults in later life, say, say a couple, a mm-hmm. man and a woman where one of them dies. And then the remaining one simply, you know, can't cope. And what we see quite systematically is that the the women are better at sort of sort of pulling things together, getting on top of things and or reorganizing and um, moving on sounds cruel. But let's say carrying on yes. better, um, whereas the men struggle more and certainly, um, you know, losing a partner a partner you've been with for decades. Yeah. Do it, you find that the men struggle more when they lose a partner? They do. They certainly do. They? do. Okay. And to be honest, they, 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 you know, in later life, they die earlier as well. Yes. As a result, um, women in later life do tend to be better at reorganizing and carrying on for that little, you know, for that yes. bit longer. But some of the men, it's like um, almost like, you know, they're, they're done now. Yeah. And um, and that is that is very sad to see. And yet, and yet there are ways through this mm. again, you know, you know, for 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 people listening. Listening. One of the things is, as you're hinting, is that in a relationship that you maintain, you know, degrees of ability and and um, doing things yourself, doing things on your own. You know, one of the biggest predictors of lifelong mental health is having a friend yes. in whom you can uh, confide over many years. Yes. And ideally, that friend is not a family member and that friend is not a romantic partner at any point. OK, so having someone other, you know, a very good friend, a very good yes. friend. And if I had a one wish that could be granted for everyone's mental health in Ireland, it would be to have a very good friend. So what you're saying is I should set up a friendship service as well as a matchmaking service. Well, I'm saying that it was my idea. And in okay. the event that you make millions out of it, I will be coming back to this. OK, Brendan, three percent. OK, maybe a little more. Um, but no. So so friendship, key part of happiness, along yes, with, of course, okay. relationships. We shouldn't mm-hmm. underestimate the importance that a good romantic relationship. But I, it's funny because recently I spent a lot of time. I went on holidays with 
like one of my very best friends, yeah. if I'm honest, over the last um, in the last two weeks. And her husband had been out with her on holidays for a couple of weeks. And I came then and her three kids were there. I'm godmother to one of them. And we had great fun, like mm. really great fun. It was so lovely to have such a relaxed time with her. She was like, it was so easy having you around. She's like, I wanted to kill my husband a few times or whatever. She's, but like, you know, we just get on, we get on about it. Like I hung up the washes and she looked after the kids and it was all sorted. We just kind of got in sync. And actually one of the things she said, there's a lot to be said for lesbians having kids together, <laughs> is what she said, because versus the male-female dynamic, I suppose. Sure, absolutely. But most of all, there's an awful lot to be said for the friendship that you described there. That, that easy, yeah. relaxed friendship and taking the time to do that is... Yeah. It's just very so important, incredibly important for you yeah. and for her forever. So, yes. so that's something we should emphasize more. If we want to be happier, we should take greater care with our good friends Friendships. and okay. take care not to become romantically involved with them because that'll ruin the whole thing. Well, no, that definitely won't be happening. But anyway, yes. Um, so look, uh, what are is there benefits, though, in being alone? Like there's a lot of clients obviously come to me for matchmaking and they're chasing this, we would say, I don't know if they're all chasing it, okay? I do ask, obviously, if they're happy. And very often I follow up with, but are you lonely? And then it seems to, okay, wait a second, happiness and loneliness are two different feelings. And sometimes both can impact each other and everything. But is there benefits to being single? Yeah, well, there are benefits to being um, alone. I mean, okay. the first thing they teach us is that we we can be alone. Mm -hmm. And some people have this terror mm -hmm. of being alone. And I guess we've all seen people in our lives who move seamlessly from relationship to relationship with scarcely five minutes break between them. Yes. Um, and, you know, that that's not a very not good safe, way yeah, not to a, be. We need yeah. to demonstrate to ourselves that we're capable of being alone. And that makes us yeah. stronger. It also makes us more independent and it makes us more attractive, um, to be honest. Um, that we don't necessarily need someone else. The second thing is a, a romantic relationship, dating someone or being in a relationship isn't the best cure for loneliness. Loneliness, um, you know, you don't want to be putting all your eggs in one basket in order to mm -hmm. avoid being lonely. Friendship and renewing relations with your own family um, are just as important as romantic relationships in terms of addressing loneliness because romantic relationships can simply come to an end and you do need to have a set of skills. Being on your own also gives you an opportunity to do the things that you want to do clearly and unambiguously to figure out who you are, what yes. it is you want, what kind of person you are. So there's a good opportunity there as well. So being alone and being single which are not quite the same thing um, are important phases for sure. I would absolutely agree with that. Being in my early 20s, had I gotten married, I know my parents got married in their early 20s. And if I look back to who I was then, okay, now I spent a lot of my 20s single. And at the time I cursed it. I was always like, oh my God, I wish I could meet the right person and all the different things. And I suppose on my journey is the reason why I arrived to what I do today. But um, when I look at the overall kind of how it all panned out I had no influence on the person that I have become if you know what I mean you yes. know the way sometimes when you're in a relationship there are certain parameters like you're going out with girls again this weekend or you're going where this weekend or you're working a little bit harder this weekend or doing mm. whatever like I honestly could be comfortable to spend my time exactly the way I wanted to have as much fun as I wanted to if I wanted to head off for a full weekend there was no, and you know, I was having so much fun on Sunday morning that I decided to spend another night there or whatever. Nobody was questioning that. I just, 
my own time, everything. And I think people don't realise how lucky they are to have that when they're single. Yes, we, you know, single people very often become obsessed with the search for a mate, yeah. the search for a partner or, or what be it. And it, we tend to undervalue the merits of, uh, you know, being single, cultivating these friendships, which are so incredibly important, mm-hmm. doing, you know, seeing the world back in the pre-COVID days, yes. or certainly doing things that might be more difficult to do if you have a partner who's, whose preferences you need to take into account and which will invariably limit you. So absolutely, yeah. it's important of periods of your life when you're single, when you're alone, because they may come again uh, later on, of course. OK, do you th- do you think people are happier when they're in a relationship or single or can it be even measured? Ah, well, I mean, I think people experience the full gamut of happiness and unhappiness in both settings. Yes. You see, what's really interesting is we do seem to have this set point for happiness, like your father having a very happy set point and other people that Mm -hmm. we probably won't mention uh, who who, who have a lower point and they're kind of miserable no matter what happens. Yes. And the research really, really proves that when you look at people who win the lottery, for example, it gives them a boost of happiness for a while, but pretty soon they're back to the level they were at before the lottery win. And the same the other way. When you look at people who have a life changing accident, for example, it makes them unhappy for quite a while. But in what seems to me a very quick period of time, they've crept back up to their pre-accident level of happiness. So we seem to have a pretty robust set point. Okay, when that's you look, very interesting to know, isn't it? very interesting. When you look at, to say, babies, yes. if, if someone has a baby, their happiness tends to go up um, from the middle of the pregnancy uh, for about two years, but then it's back to where it was before the baby. Okay. Now, now they have a baby as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> so this happiness uh, boost with the babies uh, goes on for one or two babies, uh, but okay. rarely three or four. And, and you, do, they, you don't get the happiness boost. Oh, you don't balance. get the, the happiness boost after baby three or four? No. no. Oh, wow. OK, very no. interesting. Because a huge amount of my clients, I have noticed definitely within the last year, have started getting their eggs frozen, ladies, because I suppose they feel under a bit of pressure or to take the pressure away. Um, are getting their eggs frozen. Are people that have children overall happier? I know you're saying within the first year or two, but in the long term, are they happier? Or what information do we know? Like before people start (laughs) taking all these hormones and getting their eggs frozen. Uh, It varies hugely between countries. (laughs) Ireland is one of the countries where non-parents are happier than parents. Ireland has one of the biggest differences in the world on this non-parents being happier than parents the only country that's more extreme with non-parents happier is the United States so to go in order the US of all the countries in the world is the one where non-parents are significantly happier than parents because they don't have children Uh, when you say non-parents so you know what's the definition of that someone who doesn't have a child okay but And that's the case in the US, in Ireland, in Greece, in the UK. People Mm -hmm. who don't have children are happier. Other countries, it's the opposite. So if you're in Spain, Hungary or Portugal, parents, people who have children, are happier than people who don't have children. Okay. And this seems to depend on uh, workplace arrangements and equality legislation and things like this. And the price of childcare. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So so what this tells us is that there is no absolute answer to the question. You cannot say that having having children will or will not make you happy because it clearly depends on other stuff. 
Of course. And then also age, because if you're in your working age, we'll say, um, like, as I said, my parents got married when they were 23, 24. Um, and they had me when they were 24, 25. That's mm-hmm. their two ages. And here I am at 37 and I have no children. And my sister, my younger sister, just had a baby last November in Australia. So we haven't got to meet her at all, unfortunately. Any other year we would have been over like, I don't know, some sort of fan club on the the, the plane over to Australia for Christmas. But, um, you know, it's so vast, the generational jump. But then when I speak to my parents, the hours that I would work and and I have three sisters, uh, sorry, I have two sisters, three girls in the family. Am I, I'm just wondering, is it to do with as well uh, the fact that people like ladies are working extremely longer hours. Men are working. We're talking about commuting as well, like yeah. to try and get accommodation in Ireland to try and buy a house, the cost of childcare, yeah. all of the supports around having a baby. My sister has just returned back to um, the workplace after her maternity leave. And with that situation then as well, I was just talking to her recently and um, She's a very she's a very good job. She's very lucky to work in an extremely kind of very social type mm. of business that she works in in Australia. But still, she feels a certain level of guilt of, oh, I cancelled it because I wasn't around when that project started. Or I can't do this, even though she's managing projects. And I, I had to say to her, can I just tell you, you've just done the most important job ever. You've grown a human bo- yeah. being inside yeah. your body, you know. Are those factors? Those are huge Mm. factors and workplaces and societies that manage that better. In other words, give more leave and, you know, meaningful support to Mm. parenting and not not just giving time off and then being begrudging when the person arrives back that give meaningful support. Those are the countries in which people who have children are happier than those who don't. So those arrangements have a huge impact, an enormous impact. And they're things that we need to do a much better job on in this country. When you look at the happiest countries in the world, Mm -hmm. these are always the Scandinavian countries, Finland, Sweden, Denmark. These are countries that meaningfully, positively support parenthood. And, and and not just in a sort of a grudging, giving the minimum amount of leave that employers have to give in mm-hmm. a proper, full blooded way. Now, the situation with children changes through life. If yeah. you look at older adults, say people over the age of 60 or yes, 65, different times within your life and yeah. all of the things then that come with that. And, and this, yeah, it, it changes. Yeah. Um, and you find in later life, the happiest people are are people who are parents whose grown up children have have left home. Yeah, I found that very funny. That have left home. That li- I was yeah. laughing when I was listening to your book because yeah. I thought to myself, oh God, okay, that's unfortunately so many pe- uh, single people and couples in Ireland at the moment still living at home. Well, this is the thing. It's always so, so difficult to buy a house, so difficult to yes. get the deposit. So, so difficult, difficult to, to rent. I'm from Mullingar. There's five houses to rent in Mullingar at the moment. And honestly, you probably wouldn't put your dog in most of them. Yes, I mean, so it's it's so difficult. But one of the implications of this is to do with the happiness of the parents. And yes. it is very, very clear that the happiest are people who've had children yes. who have grown up and left home. The next happiest are those who haven't had children. Okay. And then the least happy in the older adults are those who had children who are adults and are still sitting in the kitchen yes. uh, waiting for their dinner. OK, you know, so um, that covers a lot of farmers in my books, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's you know, and I, I know there's a movement now that quite a number of older 
uh, at older couples yes. are in fact leaving home okay. uh, you know leaving the children after them in the house yes. and they're just heading out and, and renting somewhere heading. oh my god that's okay <laughs> um, so it's a kind of an inversion of the usual leaving home but yes. there are tears and all this um, the opposite direction though the opposite direction Brilliant. and of course that's that's not right that's not part mm. of the societal rhythm um, so look the bottom line about uh, having, having babies and that is that it's wrong to believe that you know having a baby will be the answer to unhappiness necessarily it's a very important part of people's life and it's you know a very obviously a very amazing thing and babies bring enormous happiness and joy and fulfillment however other stuff matters the circumstances around it matter an awful lot the workplace circumstances the financial circumstances matter too um, I would feel that that's in the measurement of happiness, okay? But there's, I would feel being a matchmaker, there's an, also another conversation that needs to be had. So what I've found is most people, it's very rare that people come to me and say they don't want children unless they've already had children already. Now, maybe that's the motivation for them to come to me, okay? I do feel that there is like a certain makeup within somebody, we would say, that wants, that they want to have a family. Um, and for for whatever reason that may not have happened uh, and so I'm just wondering is it a happiness based on how they feel in any particular day but is there a feeling of loss like I'm sh- there's a lot of my clients that say to me male and female I had um, a gentleman 65 years of age come to me um, probably about three weeks ago and he said he'd love to have family uh, I had a gentleman ring me today he's 52 he said he would he actually has five children and would like to have more children. Um, I regularly get men mid-50s and older that still would love to have a family. And ladies then that as well say to me, I, you know, I feel like my, that time might have passed, but if I met someone, I'd really like to have a family. So I think it's a different study, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I think there's happiness, but is there a certain level of grief for people that don't have a family. Yeah, th- there can be. And it's extraordinary how acute this grief can be for some yes. people. And, and part of it is intrinsic. It's yeah. Some of it's just inside the person and, and yes. that's how it is. But we need to be careful we don't add to that okay. by creating if you like, social expectations that everybody will have children. Yes. Because some people uh, will choose not to. They just won't want to have children. And actually, there's a lot of conversations happening around that at the moment. People, you should be allowed to choose that you don't want children, even if you're married. You know, people's expectation of, you know, when you get married, everyone is like, oh, when are you having kids? When are you having kids? There's like this expectation. And... For some people, they find it rude that someone would even ask them because they could be going through fertility problems, but also they may have decided that they don't want to have children. Yeah, and I mean, I know several people like that and they do struggle a lot with mm-hmm. people who are asking them about it or, you know, clearly not asking them about it. Yes. it. It can be just so awkward. But so so we have to be careful not to create an expectation like mm-hmm. that. And then that is also easier for those people who want to have children, but it just doesn't work out. Yes. Be it for a medical reason, be it for a relationship reason, be it for, I don't know, what kind of a reason. All sorts of everything, really. That we don't yes. add to that sense of that sense of a loss or that sense of emptiness that that some people feel and we help them through what is always a difficult um, 
time. I, I tend to remind such people that the happiness bounce from having a baby is gone after two years anyway. Two years anyway, and definitely won't be around for baby three. So, and, uh, you know, definitely won't be there for baby three. And then in so later life. Baby three's life, not going to fix anything. Certainly, baby three isn't, or baby four. And <laughs> yeah. if the whole lot of them are still sitting in the kitchen when you're age 70, then you're in big th- th- trouble. You've got big trouble. <laughs> very good. Um, dating can be very disheartening, okay? For a lot of people to come to me, they're exhausted by online dating. Um, they may have be experienced a sense of loneliness like you know they may have also had this thing I very often I remind people the more people you're talking to the more often you're going to be rejected and this feeling of rejected regular rejection is another thing is there anything you would say to anybody starting out on their dating journey or in the middle of their dating journey that feels a little bit exhausted with the whole concept this we often talk about starting the to- the the talking phase again you know the mm, yeah. hi my name is this is what i do for a living the the chit chat you know yeah i mean it, it 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 is difficult the way the modern dating apps have developed is we you know we are placing ourselves in the way of multiple rejections on a bad day you can interpret silence as rejection by everybody else on the dating app you know yes. it it is it is it, it is a tough old business. Yes. It's been commodified and we have commodified ourselves to an extent by doing it. So it's good to be aware of that. The other thing to be aware of is that rejection isn't uh, primarily about you. Mm-hmm. It's when someone else rejects you, it could be all manner of other things in their lives. And as somebody that hears both sides of the story, because mm-hmm. I talk to everybody after they've gone on their dates, I can wholeheartedly agree with that very often it has nothing to do with the person with you mm-hmm. it's actually something else entirely and in the head of the person you've I, gone on a date with and it feels as if it's to do with you yes. because it it is a rejection yes. of you but the chances are it's got very little to do with you and I see this a lot I, I often see people before they go for job interviews yes and they see it that they either get the job or they mm-hmm. don't but the way I tend to speak to, to explain it is that, you know, if I go for a job interview, the, the result will depend partly on Brendan Kelly related factors yeah. and also on non Brendan Kelly related factors. Yes. And the non Brendan Kelly related factors account for 95 percent of what happens. You don't know what the other applicants for a job are like. You don't know no. what the circumstances of the employer are. They mightn't be employing anybody. The situation could change. They could be looking for something like literally that you don't have rather than a judgment on what you do have. So it's the exact same with dating that a rejection is more to do with the rejecter, as it were. 100 percent. Than with the than with you. But it's so hard not to take it personally. I know, but I wish more people knew this. Like I keep on reminding people like, you know, and even if I say to them after a date and they really like this whole thing, but we got on so well, I can't believe they don't want to meet me again. And so sometimes there is chemistry, there's everything aligned, but it can be something silly. Like I've heard everything. I've heard I will never date someone from that entire county. I don't want to meet that person again because they looked like they look a little bit like my father who passed away a few years ago. I don't want to meet that person again because they wrinkled their nose when they laughed. Like I'm often there going why didn't you say this before I sent you on the date that you don't like to <laughs> to go on a date with someone that wrinkles their nose like you could get it so right and like very often I'm like is that the only reason you know yeah. look if sometimes then I also think to myself you know 
was then was there enough chemistry there but very often from both sides they're like no no it was just that simple thing it was just something you know doesn't and it, but it, and it could be yet other things that are even less related to the date it could yes. be that the person is suddenly going to move away it could be that the person has a chat with their best friend who says to them you know you shouldn't date anyone for a while you're not ready and yes. then the person who was dated the previous night is suddenly cut off okay, you know yeah. so There's all everything. kinds of utterly unrelated things so it, the rejection feels very personal, but as often as not, uh, it's to do with other stuff entirely. Can we build a resilience around that? We can, um, but we haven't been doing a great job with that. Um, one of the big uh, uh, issues is to do with this idea of self-esteem. The, the notion that we should esteem ourselves uh, mm -hmm. to a certain point, it suggests... Uh, a measurability. Yes. It suggests that I, my self-esteem should be that high, you know, yeah. uh, not higher, not lower, but that high. And that's just wrong. So self-esteem has been an unhelpful concept, uh, all told. And there is a lot more to be said for the idea of self-acceptance and self-compassion, mm -hmm. that you simply accept who you are. You don't give yourself a certain amount of esteem or less esteem or more esteem. You simply accept the whole thing okay. as is yes. um, and, and self-compassion that you tell yourself repeatedly that, you know, life is tough uh, in mm -hmm. many ways and um, that you're going to have difficult times. You're going to have difficult days. You're going to have things that feel like failures, even though you kind of know they're not and that we are more compassionate towards ourselves. We're far better at being compassionate towards other people. That makes us feel good. We get a mm -hmm. bit of an endorphin kick when we're kind yes. to people, when we're nice. If we give an unexpected smile, help someone out a little bit more than we have to. Oh, thank you. We're doing that because <laughs> we... smile cheek, come on, yeah. yeah. We're doing that because it makes us feel good. Yes. Let's be honest. Okay. An awful lot of that makes us feel good. But we're not as good as being compassionate towards ourselves. We don't get the same kick when we're as nice to ourselves as we are to other people. We feel a little bit guilty about about being nice to ourselves. And that is a problem. So I think, um, say, after an there should be a, a pattern that after a date, say, that, that doesn't progress, mm -hmm. um, as statistically most, most won't, um, uh, after a date that doesn't progress, we should have some kind of reward for ourselves, something positive. Yes. Some kind of something good. Uh, that something good comes of it for ourselves in a compassionate way um, that simply accepts us as we are. One of the things you said there was just that um, we're kind of even keel about the whole thing, you know, that it's not, we're not any super highs or super lows. It is what it is sort of attitude. And that's actually something that I've observed from people that are going on dating. Some people join and I get a message the next day saying, Mairead, I'm so excited. I can't wait. I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And my my feeling in that is always to calm the situation it's like well look as I said I can't guarantee you're going to find love but just enjoy the process and see how you get on whereas people that tend to come to me were like look should we give it a go nothing ventured nothing gained and see what happens I find they tend to be more successful overall anyway because there's not they're not projecting this like this has to work sort of feeling onto somebody and like that as well it's they're not projecting a feeling of this has to work kind of the the drag kind mm, of mm, feeling and energy yeah, i yeah. think they bring the right energy to a date just by their yeah, their mindset yeah. sure so yeah being outcome focused being process focused mm -hmm. is 
rather than outcome focused uh, is what makes everything enjoyable when you stop looking at the outcome as being yes no success failure but you start looking at how can we uh, enjoy the process so if the purpose if we can sort of tweak our heads a little bit that the purpose of a date is to have an interesting and enjoyable evening out what I always say just to know another nice person in the world yeah I mean that's worth a lot yeah it like it is because going for a conversation now I thoroughly enjoy that that's why I do love doing my podcast because I love just chatting and I can ask you loads of different things that I may not get the opportunity to do even if I met you at a party or something you know but um I, th- I feel that it's just it's easier it makes takes the pressure off you takes the pressure off them then if you want to meet them one more time is what I say afterwards as well decide on the date if you'd like to meet them one more time not I don't know if I'd like to marry this person or the <laughs> other feeling of, you know, I don't know if they're uh, like, I'm not sure that sort of thing. It's like, would you like to meet them one more time? Yeah. Yeah. And it keeps everything just just steady. Yeah. And it, it, it makes things achievable. It makes things doable. It's more focused on the process. It's more focused on connecting with the person mm-hmm. and it leaves you open to new possibilities. Certainly meeting people a second time is so important because mm-hmm. on day one, they're just as sort of nervous as, as you are most likely. Uh, absolutely. They're yeah. going through the exact same thing as you are. And we, we don't we're not terribly good at understanding other people's points perspectives points of view because we think other people come across as super confident a lot of the time yes you've got to got to keep telling ourselves that that person over there feels exactly the same way i feel or people say to you um i really hope they like me and it's like well you're not going on a date to see if they like you you're going on a date to see if you like them <laughs> and then afterwards we can you know have the whole thing but yeah, you, yeah. people don't focus on themselves because they're trying to throw out this will they see me will they hear me will they and will I get my point across of how fabulous I am you know instead yeah. of actually thinking to themselves let's go and have fun and if I want to meet them again I will they're taking yeah. themselves out which is kind of like what we discussed earlier yeah no I, I, absolutely and the, the taking the other person's perspective is you know can be utterly transformative for any kind of meeting be it a date or otherwise where you, your starting position is I'm nervous therefore this other person is likely nervous what can I do to help relieve this other person's anxiety? Because they're probably all up in a heap about coming out this evening and they've been getting ready and worrying about what to wear and what to say and what they'll do. How can I make the other person less anxious? Especially and for anybody that's been out of the dating scene for a long time. Yeah, yeah. No, and once, once you turn it on, on its head a little bit that way, you're going to find a, a much more natural connection that will, allow a, that will allow a proper connection to flourish if it should and not flourish if it shouldn't, which is the point. Is there a way of making yourself more confident? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's obviously a challenge um, mm-hmm. and th- there's a couple of things you can do. Okay. Um, the first thing we need to do is to step back a little bit from confidence specifically and simply try to make ourselves more, well, I suppose, happier to go back to the happiness, the happiness book, because happiness breeds confidence and confidence evokes you know happiness in other people and it's a virtuous cycle that starts so we can we can focus on being happy we also need to focus on our strengths a lot more than our weaknesses so there, there are some things many of us are good at doing mm-hmm. um but we don't tend to share those we tend to focus on things we're not so good at doing and try to improve those whereas a lot of people have a lot of skills a lot of strengths that we can um we can grow. Friendship is one of the strongest things. Having a network of friends and confidants who will support you no matter what builds confidence like nothing else. 
we often look to work to build confidence, but work is not a great place to be building your personal confidence because workplaces are subject to so many things other than your efforts you, you know in most of our workplaces we're we're a bit like pieces on a chessboard we, we don't have full control of that environment and um, so we shouldn't invest a lot of our confidence or not in our workplaces it should be in areas of, of our life that we can control better like friendships relationships and uh, leisure time activities these are the ways we become confident and we need to become confident in general not about specific things for obviously I have clients from all ages from all over Ireland from all walks actually all over the world now because I have people <laughs> come flying out from Dubai and wow. Canada and Australia after the long lockdowns and everything to try and meet people but obviously then I have people that come to me one of the questions I ask is how is your physical and your mental health and for some they are struggling with their mental health perhaps they have a diagnosis perhaps they've different conditions and everything like that is there any advice you would give anybody embarking on their dating journey that possibly has either one a mental illness or is suffering with with their mental health well i suppose a couple of things the first thing is you know getting in getting into a relationship even a really really good one isn't on its own a solution to mental health problems it can help with happiness and it can help with lots of stuff and create a nice environment but it's not necessarily a solution um just as it's not necessarily a solution to unhappiness yeah. i think if you have sort of mental health problems or a diagnosis or you've been treated for something um it is important to be open about that once you are confident in the sort of dating situation. So, for you know, for example, it's not something that one might discuss on a first date because yes. it is it is it is a private piece of information, like a lot of private pieces of information. You wouldn't necessarily yeah. share them the first I time agree with that, you yeah. meet someone. Um, the other thing that if you're in a, a you know, if matters are progressing fairly yes. well, there does come a point to be honest, relatively early on to, to, to mention it once you're confident in the person you're with. But a lot of people have absolutely no knowledge of this area at all about mental health yes. problems. And uh, while this is kind of staggering to me as a psychiatrist, because yeah, it's, uh, it's my life, I yes. listen out for it. I hear about it on the radio. Mm-hmm. I read about it in the yeah. newspaper. Um, but the fact is, a lot of people know nothing about it. So if you are confiding in somebody new, you do need to cut them a bit of slack and realize they might be flabbergasted or confused by what you say or they might not understand no what it is no they might not have any idea Uh, they might they might have very odd ideas Mm -hmm. from movies or from the tv yes of course things like this so um you need to take your time Mm -hmm. to explain and unfortunately you must be ready for some rather peculiar reactions Mm -hmm. Uh, people who are anxious people who are confused by what you're telling them are people who just don't know what to do or say. And so if you have a mental health problem and you are telling someone about it, you need to be tolerant of the reaction that you get because it might not be what you want. And that's just a harsh truth to be aware of. Now, Can I stop you there then as well? So therefore, we are talking to people, one that may, talking about people that may have a mental health issue or challenge at the moment. Could we also maybe talk about if you are someone that and you're dating someone and they say to you they have a mental health issue because we always we're saying there you need to be mindful of their reaction but I think anybody that's dating has a duty of care and responsibility 
to we'll say maybe educate themselves a little bit more in the fact that you might come across somebody in yeah. this whether it's work whether it's dating whether yeah. it's anything if someone tells you they are suffering with their mental health or have a mm. challenge around mental mm. health what how should you react what how you, could it be helpful to them oh well what you should absolutely do is listen to what they tell you um, and give them genuine opportunity yes to talk to you and i mean actually listening not simply waiting for them to stop talking so you can say something so um the other thing to do is to avoid simple platitudes so let, let's let's say we're dating right mm-hmm. and uh, let's say uh, you tell me and i'm just making this up yeah. that you've suffered with depression yeah uh, in, the correct response for me is to invite you and create a real genuine space where you can talk to me about it and this might involve me saying aha uh-huh, and mm, yeah. asking some questions but not just waiting till you stop talking The other thing that I need to avoid doing is I need to avoid simple solutions. So, for example, if I say to you, don't worry, people get over this. It's true, but it sounds very dismissive. If I say because if they could, they would. Of course. And if I say, look, everything will be all right. That's Mm -hmm. a nice thing to say. But again, it minimizes your problems. Because if if saying things like everything is going to be Mm -hmm. all right was was going to sort out the situation it would have done so by now so the correct thing to do is create a genuine listening space and to listen and listen and listen and you might ask me you know do you know what i'm talking about brendan have you ever been depressed Mm -hmm. and again absolute honesty is important and i would say to you I've certainly been sad and I've been very sad, but I don't think I've been depressed in the way that you're that they may be telling me. So maybe you might sketch it out Mm -hmm. for me a little more because hand on heart, I've never experienced what you're talking about. I think this is also really important for the dating process. I think so many people are great at chit chat. So they talk about the weather, where they've been on holidays, all of this sort of thing. But really, one, you're the building a connection with somebody is them feeling safe for you to talk to them about any matter of things like you're giving an example as to whether or not you're going to be a good listener we will yeah. say uh, you know as a future partner yeah. and also you're building a connection with them you, they're they're becoming they're opening themselves up yeah. um they're exposing themselves in a certain yeah. extent and they're showing their vulnerability and vulnerability is a very important thing for building a connection with somebody because you have to be able to trust this person in order to do a whole manner of things and to, to progress a relationship yes so i actually think if someone does open up to you about their mental health you should actually be a little bit honored if i'm honest yeah, that they feel that they can yeah so I'm, you should respect the fact fact that that they are and actually take it somewhat as a compliment as well as being very understanding and everything along the way it is and you should absolutely thank the person for telling you yes. uh, because it is one of the most incredibly privileged positions to be in when someone tells you this kind of thing yes. now i'm a psychiatrist and i see people you know i see someone new they come in to see me and five minutes later they are telling me things about their lives they've never told anybody that they're nearly frightened to tell themselves and to an extent i would get that people really trust me and tell me all sorts of things about yeah. past relationships life experiences dreams on a huge scale sometimes you know um and, and it's, it is it's it's, a, it's, it's it's extraordinary how people are capable and at some level yes. want to yes. open up like this in the most 
amazing way, be it yes. to me as a psychiatrist or be it to your, be it, you know, and that is something we need to respect. It, it uh, you know, at one level, it does mean that the mm -hmm. date is going very well because yes. you have created this space. You're creating a real connection with the person. I mean, so the so if somebody opens up to you about this kind yes. of thing, the bottom line is that you listen and you absolutely listen because this is a really big mm -hmm. deal for the person. You switch off your phone, mm -hmm. like completely off, not yes. vibrating, not whatever else phones might do. And you listen in a absolute way for as long as necessary, mm -hmm. be it hours upon hours. You do not pretend to understand if you don't fully, if you haven't fully experienced, don't pretend to understand. You're listening and your understanding is growing. Yes. And you avoid simple platitudes because they sound like dismissals for mm -hmm. someone who has if someone has suffered for years and you just say, oh, don't worry, you'll get over it. it what that says is I'm not listening. And I've, I've no interest in understanding what you're saying. Absolutely. That's what that would say. That's yes. what it says. It's yeah. what it says. It says I, I, I don't get it's not this that I simple for I've, I've suffered from anxiety a few years ago. I'd work related stress and anxiety. And I have mentioned it before in the podcast, okay. like the pain of it, the physical pain of it, as well as the mental pain of it and everything. And and at that stage I was dating. So that's why I suppose it comes. I, I'm very sensitive to it for people that listen to the podcast. And that's why I suppose as well, saying the fact as well of what should you do if someone says it to you, yeah, you know, yeah. because we don't know what people are going through in their lives. And like some days are great. Like I, I don't thankfully suffer from it anymore at all. Not for a very long time. Yeah. But I remember back in the day, I could have a big smile on my face and be out and about, but it, it would be painful, you know? Yeah. And you see, even that point is something that so many people don't understand yeah. the extent. Like I, I could say to you, yeah, I'm anxious from time to time, Yeah, you know, but that is such a completely different thing. So people often don't recognize the sheer physicality yes. of severe anxiety, severe depression, severe bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. The extent this involves your mind, your brain, yes. of course, but also the whole body um, and understanding this, you know, this is an important part of someone's life when they're dating, be it that they're suffering at the moment mm -hmm. or they have recovered. Um, so sharing that is important. Important. And it does mean that there's a real connection happening, a proper human connection. Do you think they should sync back in with whoever their medical professional is while dating? Because dating is very emotional time for a lot of people. I know, yeah. yes, if you meet somebody, all is great, but it's very rare that people, you know, click with the very first person they meet and all those other things that we've spoken about before, regular rejection um, the talking phase again, um, people being ghosted, all of those things. Do you think they should link in with their with their person? I think they, they should certainly be linking in with somebody. Yes, this is not this okay. is not a uh, a kind of this, this this dating can be such a, a, a choppy yeah. uh, voyage really to can, say the yes. least it it reminds me of you know when people are undergoing fertility treatment for yes. example which is what can be one of the most emotional rockiest roads that there is yes um, it reminds me of that it is not something that we are built to navigate alone ironically yes. uh, and that's where the friend comes in or the uh, sort of the good family member um, and for some people it is very helpful that they talk with their counsellor or with their psychologist as well particularly if they don't have that network of support and actually as we as we say that there's a lot of women and men going through fertility journeys on their own it's a you know a, 
uh, I would meet people that have decided to get uh, um, sperm donors yeah. and or surrogate mothers for gentlemen or maybe have decided to adopt on their own. There was a lovely story actually in the media in the last week or two. Um, I think it was a guy in Vietnam, a young guy from Tipperary um, was working over in, I think it's Vietnam, mm-hmm. and has decided to adopt a child on his own. And, you know, like all of that, it is, it's a huge journey to be going on on your own as well. It's a huge journey. End mm. of story. And, you know, when, when even even when you see couples who have a baby and particularly during the lockdown, if they don't have the support of family members, uh, it's so hard. Um, yes. And when you see single parents as well, it is tough. I mean, and I think we underestimate the sheer physical impact of having a baby, the work involved, as well as the the, the emotional work. And the um, lack of Jen Zamparelli, the, yeah. produ- the radio host on 2FM, she actually put up on her Instagram recently that her husband had been away for a number of weeks and she actually gave a, a fair play to anybody that is a single parent because she'd been managing it all on her own so you know I, I I can't even imagine look I have the faintest notion how anyone who is a single parent with no support actually manages it is yes. just too hard I mean it, it's a cliche to say it takes a village to 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 raise a but child it's true but it takes a lot more than a sing- just one person yes. or a couple or certainly it can be done for yes. a single parent or for a couple it certainly can be done the people out there listening who are doing it uh, you have my absolute admiration but it is it is made so much easier if there is a network if there is a family if okay. if there is a village so certainly for people who are going through that or going through the dating process as well they do need support of a family support of friends some kind of network we're not built to withstand these things on our own so that might be important for particularly if they have an extra problem with anxiety or depression or the like so how can we be happier in our daily lives Ah, well, that, that, that's, that's an excellent question. Well, in the book, I outline several things. Um, obviously, we need to watch our diet that little bit. Mm-hmm. We need to exercise a bit. Mm-hmm. Now, a bit, I think there are more people exercising too much than too little. Yes, I get a moment. huge, well, I do get, I get all sorts of people come to me, but I get people that are hugely, excuse me, hugely focused on um, exercise and work very hard, exercise very hard and can very often very little time for dating because I ring them to try and organise dates and there's triathlon here and there's a marathon on here and then there's like a swimming thing here. You know, it, it, some people are. But balance. Well, look, for health and happiness, we need to do 150 minutes of moderate physical exercise a week. Okay. So 150 minutes of moderate physical exercise. Now, moderate exercise would be going for a brisk walk such okay. that you perspire just, just as long as you're you know exerting yourself a little okay. bit sweating a little bit minutes. that's 30 minutes five days a week great okay that's it now if you're doing more than that I don't really know what you're doing but it's certainly not making a significant contribution necessarily okay. to your physical or mental health so a certain amount of exercise and we should watch our diets a certain amount okay. the best advice comes from the science writer Michael Pollan who has seven words to say about diet he says uh, Eat food, very important, not too much, very important, mostly plants. Mostly plants. And so that's the science writer Michael Pollan, to give credit where it's due. Eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Very good. That's the way to do it. So those things are important. Um, We need to cultivate friendships. The biggest single factor for lifelong happiness and well-being Mm -hmm. is having a friend who is not a family member and with whom you do not have a romantic relationship. As I said earlier, a standalone friend. This is this is your friend that you were on holidays with for the week. I'm lucky. I've I've three best friends, I would say. 
Yeah, well, yes. so, so the message... Different walks of life, we'll say, you know. Yeah, you know, well, the message I have is to anyone listening is however much time and effort you devote to those friendships, double it. Okay. Because it's, they're more important than we instinctively feel they Perfect. actually are. And they okay. will prove that over time. Um, you know, dating and finding a partner can help with happiness mm-hmm. as well. You can be perfectly happy without uh, however, this is part of us. You know, there's mm-hmm. part of us that wants this special romantic relationship yes. and also with what it brings. It often brings with it uh, a shared desire to have children mm-hmm. who can give a boost to happiness. It does not always bring that desire. Yes. And we need to normalize that more than we do. Yes. Because um, people don't have children for all kinds of reasons. They mightn't want them. There can be factors outside their control. So romantic relationships can contribute to happiness. It also contributes as well, I would say, to physical touch. There's lots of studies as well with hugs um, and we're hugging wrong. We hug too short, I believe, and for not enough times during the day. So there's lots of science around that as well. Yes, there is. But we do need to respect people's individual preferences. And we have absolute non-huggers such as myself. Are you a non-hugger? I am so much a non-hugger. So you enjoyed COVID times. Can't do, can't, can't touch, can't hug. I have been known to carry, you know, boxes in front of me in order to physically discourage hugs. If if you're ever approaching me and I'm worried you might hug me, I might drop a pen on the ground and bend to pick it up to avoid that. Um, So, uh, yeah, no, they they do say, however, uh, that uh, we need to. uh, And can I ask you then, do you hug your children? Oh, my. What a question is that? Uh, Yes. Yes, of course. Um, It's I think my objection is to uh, social hugging, social hugging. Um, Okay. certainly uh, hugging in the workplace is something that if any of my colleagues are listening, they'll be laughing their heads off at the idea of me (laughs) hugging anyone in the workplace. And even in social situations, there is a tendency for hugging. I mean, I have had some difficult experiences in this regard. I remember years ago, I met some Spanish people and there was a certain amount of kissing on the cheek going on. I thought, you know what, I'll get over it. I'll give it a go. So I, 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 I did it. And afterwards they laughed and they said, oh, my goodness, this one, he really kisses. Apparently, I went a bit too far with the kissing and I was absolutely mortified. <laughs> oh, so I've never no. done that kind of okay. social kissing again. OK, I would say, well, first of all, social hugging needs to be longer. I think it's a minimum of 20 seconds is how long we're supposed to hug for. So in case you're okay, you need right. to, to prescribe that to somebody. Well, I, I'm thinking maybe the uh, restrictions need to stay in place a little okay. bit longer with COVID. You know, Very you can't good. be too careful in a pandemic. Um, what else? The, the other thing that I would like to suggest is you touched on it there about people who do a lot of work. They do a lot of physical exercise mm-hmm. and so forth. It is important to have some kind of reflective time or space in your life. I'm a big fan of meditation for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people find, say, yoga is a more acceptable way of sort of creating a space for not even reflection, just for the empty mind. You know, yes. Buddhism talks about having an empty mind and we talk a lot about mindfulness nowadays, which is great, but it's just mm-hmm. not everyone's bag. Some people yeah. find it a bit new agey and a bit fooey. Um, but, uh, you know, people achieve mindfulness in other ways. Knitting is, is a great way to achieve an empty mind. You can just sit for hours doing the doing yes. the mecha- mechanics with, with, with nothing in your head. And, and seen that, that famous English um, swimmer in the last little while. Um, he's over in the Olympics and he has knit was it, uh, something Dale, I think his name, but yes. he's after knitting a little pouch for his 
this gold medal and he's after yes. knitting a big jumper all while like actually at the Olympics and everything so, so, so that's obviously calms him really good way of, of when you do a physical activity like yes. that that doesn't require if you like cognition you're not calculating yes. measuring interpreting you're just doing mine is probably baking even though I am measuring and everything but it's the creative side of yes yeah. and it's, it's a physical activity they draw us in in sometimes in ways that something like sitting meditating doesn't yes. and and yes i think the baking has really come to the fore ireland is groaning under the weight of unwanted banana bread and, and unwanted and covid pounds but anyway yeah but but <laughs> all, of the, of the all of these things are good you yes. get it a bit in sports as well you get it people who are out running and certainly i know someone she swims a lot and i yes. i say what happens when you're swimming what are you thinking about are you thinking about work you're starting out problems using the time she said absolutely not there's yes. nothing in her head. It's not lovely. Blank. Yes. And she says, when I'm swimming, there is only the swimming. Yes. It's like she is no longer Switched there. Up. It's like a form of meditation for her. It completely is a form yes. of meditation. Absolute absorption in the moment. Yes. And if we can achieve that in some way, be it the running, the swimming, the knitting, the yoga, the meditating, um, then that's important. It doesn't matter what word we use. We can use mindfulness, but a lot it's of whatever people, makes you happy, literally. It's whatever makes you happy. And if yes. you're doing that already, I'm telling you, it's more important than you think. And you should do yes. more gardening. Another very big one uh, can totally absorb people. What if there is something or somebody in your life that is, do you know, is making you unhappy? Well, so that's that's really, really difficult because mm -hmm. it's not always possible to remove people from your life. Mm -hmm. We're stuck with certain people like yes. our families, for example, yes. um, or your other half's families <laughs> or your other half's families. OK, the joy of being single, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's got to be one of the big ones. Um, OK, well, obviously recognizing that is is a huge first step. Mm -hmm. Also, accepting it is important if you cannot eliminate the person or the problem from your life. There's there's something called acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy. And this is based on the idea that we look at our lives and say there are things we can control and there are things we cannot control. The things we cannot control that are negative, we minimize them. We try to avoid them. We recognize the negative effects when we can't avoid them. And we focus on the things we can control. Mm -hmm. So we accept certain things, but we commit to changing other things. Um, so we do need to manage these difficulties in our lives. But, you know, I, I know someone who's, who's in this situation. What he says is, there's nothing I can do, but I'm cruising past. In other words, it's like a boat cruising past a rock. You're not going to move it. It's stuck there and it's going to be there on your way back too. But if you can somehow try and cruise past it, recognize the problem, the risk, the difficulty, minimize your exposure to it and focus on other things. So there are things we have to accept. Okay. We, we, we have to accept certain things. Um, it, it, it might be in-laws in, in my case it's not my in-laws are wonderful you can't say it anyway no <laughs> um okay as a psychiatrist and the author of the science of happiness is what would you like people to know is there anything that you're like i feel that more people should be doing this in their life i more people should think about psychological well-being and happiness we need a culture of well-being and psychological well-being that is 
similar to our culture of mm-hmm. physical well-being. For everywhere where we have a gym for physical fitness, we should also have devote similar resource to mental wellness, to mental well-being, psychological well-being. We have emphasized physical fitness, and, which is good, but often to a point where it's actually harmful for some people and they're uh, doing unhealthy things for yes. their physical fitness. I'm talking about extreme diets. I'm talking about people doing bodybuilding uh, you know like having having biceps like tree trunks isn't necessarily healthy it can be exceptionally unhealthy for some people so a culture of uh, well-being i suppose the the other thing is to take other we get joy in life when we take other people's perspectives into account a lot more so as i sit here talking to you I would feel an awful lot better if I spent more time in your shoes thinking, you know, if I was sitting on your side, what would you want me to say? What would you what would be useful mm-hmm. for you? What would make you happier? What would make the connection better? Yes. And if I can do that more than I currently do, it will ironically make me happier. OK, that's kind of like what we were talking about a few moments ago of caring about what they will think of me at the, on the date sort of kind of same sort of psychology yeah. I mean the person you're on a date with is a person in need of They're confidence a boosting. human person is also looking to to hopefully find love you're coming to me they're only find, trying to find love and they're feeling pretty much this exact same way that you're feeling That's all it. your anxieties as well so just remember that well thank you so much for talking about everything to do with happiness today If anybody would like to buy your book, where can they get it? Ah, the book is called The Science of Happiness Mm -hmm. and it's published by Gill Books. It's available uh, in bookshops. Uh, 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 pretty much any bookshop uh, can has mm-hmm. it or can order it. You can also buy it online from Gill Books, mm-hmm. uh, or indeed from any of the online any of the online booksellers. Dubray uh, yes. online, Eason's, and oh, the various okay. other Irish booksellers. Excellent. Thank you so much for your chat today, and uh, thank you. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Would Like to Meet podcast with me, your host Mairead Lachman. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you are single or you know anyone that is single and would like to meet someone special, get in touch with us and we would be delighted to chat to you about our matchmaking service, dating masterclass and our dating events at Table for Six. Visit us at lovehq.ie and follow us on Instagram for simple yet powerful dating advice. And remember, if you've enjoyed this episode, I would love if you would leave us a nice rating and review. Thank you.